Hey, um, welcome to the Overture Pamphlet. My name is Rob, and I'm the host of this one-man show. Happy March! We're getting close to spring. I am so excited. Days are longer now. It's just so much better. The weather, well, the weather is kind of shit, but <laughs> but we're getting there. I'm hopeful, and, and I trust the groundhog who said like the um, spring was gonna come sooner. So, yeah. Always trust your groundhogs. That's the, that's the rule. Anyways, today's uh, episode is um, a very special one. We're talking about the new Dune movie, Dune Part 2, that came out literally Friday. And I went to watch it on Saturday. So, and I have my very fresh thoughts and fresh, you know, notes ready to, ready to go, basically. Um, it will be a spoiler-free review. I'll try to be as spoiler-free as possible. But I will, unfortunately, have to cover... Spoilers from the first movie. So if you haven't watched the first one, I'm sorry, but I will have to unfortunately give y'all the lore <laughs> for as an intro for the second movie. You know what I mean? So go watch the first one if you haven't, and then go well listen to my episode, and then go watch the second one, or just listen to me if you don't care about spoilers. You know what I mean? And maybe you can go and watch it. Um, and then I'm gonna also be talking about as my second story about the infamous fifth harmonies renaissance that's happening on tiktok well it's happening i think it started like last week or something it's it's it went on for like a good week even more than that and i think now it's actually starting to fade away in my opinion um so yeah <laughs> we shall see what happens actually um but we'll get into that in a bit but first of all of course songs of the week songs of the week Songs of the week as usual. What do we have here? Let me open my notes. Okay, so first song I, I put in was I Wanna Be Your Right Hand by Nema, Nemesis. Nemesis. It's written as, spelled out as uh, N-E-M-A-H-S-I-S. Um, the title itself is already pretty clear in my opinion. Um, it's about wanting someone so bad that it's worth making compromises and put yourself aside. It doesn't seem from the lyrics that this love is reciprocated, though, and so we can scream in approval because we all have been there, you know? Um, the song has a very prevalent, I would say, guitar um, production, like acoustic guitar, guitar uh, production, and it eats. It's just really good. Um, I think it has a very interesting like nice vibe the verses and the chorus in my opinion are two very separate things but somehow somehow they make sense like they blend in together um in terms of melodies and all that stuff but yeah the chorus very catchy as well and i just love the repetition of the i i'm getting on it uh, uh, i'm getting on it no 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 it's just very 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 catchy and interesting Cute song, very cute song. I would definitely recommend. It's a very, um, you know, nice... Um, it's a vibe. It's a vibe. Um, then we have Collateral Damage by Christiane. I think I talked about Christiane uh, the other... Um, one of my other episodes about Pins and Needles. There's another song of hers. Um, but yeah, um, this is a, a new song um, that she just released. I, I assume there is a, an EP or an album coming out soon because she has released, what, like four singles or something? So... Yeah, and um, I gotta be honest, I don't know what the fuck this song is about. <laughs> I tried to look at the lyrics on Genius, but I don't think they are 
the official official ones. I'm not sure. Maybe they are. But even then, I'm not really sure what the song is about. But my sixth sense tells me that um, it's a song about the reason, uh, being the reason for the unhappiness in a relationship. Like, taking the blame for the unhappiness and the broken relationship that you're in. Um, so yeah, wanting to be left alone in your own misery, personally, it's very relatable as well. I just wanted, uh, the lyrics say, like, I just wanted you to let me fall apart. Um, she also blames herself for breaking the other person, um, I think from what I'm sensing. But it also seems that this other person is not giving up and is still sticking around. Um, so, but yeah, as I said, I'm not really sure, sticking it with a grain of salt. So it's a very complex, uh, lyrically complex song. Um, production-wise, it's like, she seems like, uh, she seems, it seems like she's going for like a um, very indie rock, um, album this time around which is uh, lovely like very similar to what she did in the first ep but it's a bit more like grungy and a more in your face and loud i would say uh which i i'm loving it this song as one thing that i like to call like a sneaky build up i guess like you don't really realize that you're building up to the chorus until it, like the chorus actually hits you like the guitar gets so like loud and aggressive in the chorus not not like hyperly aggressive but it's just louder like it's just louder than much more intense and it's just beautiful and it's just it just happens out of nowhere i don't i don't know how to explain it but like you you don't have like a natural build up like the um the build-up creeps in, which is a very weird way, because usually a build-up is noticeable, like, you can tell the song is building up, well, this one, it just creeps in out of nowhere, so, beautiful, beautiful song, and also, I got noticed on TikTok, so, <laughs> go listen to Collateral Damage, Christian commented on one of my TikToks, go check it out if you want, um, I'll, I'll leave a link in my, as usual, in the podcast, um, description the, the episode description uh with my socials so you can go and check it out and maybe give me a follow little rats um that's another song these are going to be all in like the newer playlist for the month of march that i'm doing for the overshare pamphlet for the podcast but you so you'll find them there as well but anyways um other songs that i wanted to talk about for the week are miss me too by griff um, also got noticed uh, by Griff on Instagram this time around, so I'm also very happy about that. She liked my uh, my story where I basically posted a song, um, me singing to the song. Not singing, but, you know, vibing to the song. Um, Miss Me Too is about missing um, your old self and your um, childhood self. Missing about, uh, you know, basically missing the um, easy times and the times where you were not uh, preoccupied by many different things in your life, missing simple times, basically. It's just uh, beautiful. Um, lyrics are lyricking. Um, it's just... But it broke my heart in a million ways, and it fell apart in a foreign place. Uh, it's just beautiful. Like, gorgeous song. And also, it has... Well, I, I knew it ever since I heard the snippets that it's a very Lord-inspired song. Like, I'm talking about Supercar type of beat. So, yeah, very frantic, very, like... Um, like synthy, beautiful song, and she kills it vocally as well. She's just so uh, good and so um, soft in the delivery. She's I think she uses a lot of head voice, which is very very nice as well. So yeah, go give it a listen. I really like the song. It's so good. It's a very also needed song because um, I've been listening to a lot of like love songs or like a lot of um, sad songs about still about love or like about breakup and all that stuff i don't know why i just that's my vibe i usually sometimes like to feel depressed 
in a good way. Like, I process emotions by feeling them, thank you very much, and by listening to songs that are about that feeling, you know what I mean? Or if I want to distract myself, I just listen to happy songs, but sometimes I just, like, like to feel in the mood and feel depressed. But this one is about feeling depressed for all the reasons, so <laughs> I guess I guess it, it does the job for me. And it's also a sad bop, so what more can you ask, uh, ask for, you know? Mm-mm-mm. Then, um, yeah, I want to talk about this one. Um, this one is called Nothing Matters by The Last Dinner Party. The Last Dinner Party is a group. I'm not really sure if there are multiple singers or if it's just one. Or it's like a, like a band situation. But Nothing Matters is um, a sick track. It's a sick, sick, sick track. Um, also quite indie. Uh, the lyrics are insane. Like, so fucking good. Uh, let me see if I can read some of it. Um, they're actually insane. The chorus actually kills me a lot. Um, oh, I, I, like, and and you can hold me like a like he held her, and I will fuck you like nothing matters. And you can hold me like he held her, and I will fuck you like nothing matters. That's the old bit. Um, yeah. So it's um, I, I'm not really sure what it is about. To be fair, like it seems like a very much like a revenge type of situation where there's like a triangle, and you want to like. I don't know. Interesting. Um, so yeah, very cool song though. Like the beat is beating the. It's like a very like indie rock song, but like interesting production and all this stuff. So give it a go. Give it a go. Give it a go. Um, so these are my four songs. I urge you to listen to them. They're really good. I am feeling this vibe. Um, I'm getting back into my indie rock situation here. Uh, so. Like, as you can see from many of these songs, but yeah, um, as I said, I'll put them in a playlist and we'll, um, you can go and check them out whenever, you know? But yeah, now let's get into the first story, which is, um, Dune Part 2. Dune! <laughs> Dune! <laughs> Dune, it's Dune, it's Dune time. <laughs> Wake up. It's the first of the month and it's not. <laughs> what am I saying? I don't know. But um, as I said, I went to watch Dune Part 2. I went to watch Dune Part 2 in theaters uh, this Saturday with a friend and it was just a um, gorgeous experience. Um, beautiful movie. The more I think about it, the more complex, uh, the complex it is. And it's just... Um, I love when, like, sci-fis or, like, fantasy movies get intensely political all in your face and they they give you a lot of, like, a lot of food for thought, you know what I mean? A lot of, um, a, lot, a lot to ponder, a lot to, like, um, a lot to think about. So, um, and this is exactly what it is, you know, it's a, a sci-fi movie, uh, I don't know if you're, if you guys are familiar with it, but Dune is, um, uh, not your regular run-of-the-mill type of um, movie. It's a, a sci-fi movie. It's a very sophisticated sci-fi that um, is based on, if I'm not mistaken, it's like six books or eight. I can't remember, but um, it's quite a lot. And it's been around for a long time. There's been many adaptations, but this is the, as of now, has been proven to be the more popular adaptation, I guess. Uh, Dune Part 1 came out in 2021, 
the stars that are like you know the main characters, I guess, like they're played by Timothy Timothy Chalamet and Zendaya and well Oscar Isaac as well. Um, in this movie, in this part two, you you also have new additions. Um, we have Florence Pugh. We have um, what's his name again? Oh my god, <laughs> Elvis! Man, I always forget his name. Um, but you know what I mean. Um, he um, well, the, the movie star started, and so um, it's th thankfully it's getting traction because of that. Because he Dune never really took off in terms of movies and adaptations and all that stuff. But it seems that they found their great middle ground. If I had to describe it to someone who is, like, unfamiliar with it and is familiar with, like, pop culture, I guess, I would say it's, like, um, Game of Thrones, but sci-fi. You know what I mean? Um, in terms of, like, tone, in terms of, like, sophisticated, um, you know, topics, and, you know, like, it's just that, like, in terms of politics, in terms of religion, in terms of... Um, like war and all that stuff it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot that it's something that is definitely on the other spectrum of what um star wars here uh, here it well it was for a long time in the culture i guess like star wars got political because well it is based on an empire that is very much influenced by the nazi uh empire and all that stuff so um it is it was it was political it was meant to be political, but it was never super like layered and complicated it was more like a straightforward story and you were like um rooting for the heroes and against the bad guys and all that stuff it never gotten way beyond the empire trope in that sense i would say but um austin butler also, oh my god i just came to mind austin butler is also um a new addition to the to the cast and he plays one of the main villains in the second movie but anyways um as I said, I went to watch it and was very surprised and very pleasantly surprised that the open, like the opening weekend here in England, in London, was um, full. Like the 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 theaters were full. Um, we had a hard time trying to get the tickets and worked out in the end for a Saturday, which was perfect in terms of timing. Um, but um, yeah, I was very. Pleasant, pleasantly surprised that uh, my theater was full and everyone was glued to the screen, which is a great sign. We all want this. Um, well, a lot is riding on the back of these uh, of, of this franchise. I think Hollywood is in desperate need of um, um, of a of a successful franchise again because I think the last proper like um, fruitful franchise was honestly Marvel, but it seems that its decline as well hurt i guess like the hollywood uh industry a lot so hollywood is read and also in general like movies uh theater experiences are very much becoming second second ranking i guess in, in terms of um like forms of entertainment i think streaming is just uh, uh has just become like thanks for i guess also to the pandemic like the the most consumed form of um yeah entertainment in that sense that people don't really go to the movies that much anymore it like it used to be uh, like um one in a month type of uh or even more than more than that to go and watch a movie but now it's like very few people go to the movies so yeah hollywood was really hope uh, hopeful for this one 
they are, you know, betting a lot on this movie and this second movie specifically to do well so they can, you know, maybe have a new, fr like, successful franchise to that, you know, can bring people to the theaters. And, I mean, from what I'm seeing from the opening weekend, it seems really promising. But I do have to say that I have doubts when it comes to the full box office, in a way. I think the movie is um, long, in a way. Like, it is almost three hours long, and I don't mind it. I think it's actually pretty good for its length. Um, I mean, you don't really feel the length too much, but I, I'm pondering on whether people would be up for this sort of experience. Like, even when it comes to repeat viewing, like going for a second round or whatever, I'm not really sure how it, that is going to play out. Like, maybe fans, hardcore fans, will go back again, but how many are they? This is a good test, to be fair. Like, because the first movie did 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 okay, did well. I think I did. I think it did pretty well. Um, but it didn't do spectacularly well that it granted, like, basically an immediate second movie. Like, as you can see, this one came out in 2024, literally, um, three years later from the first installment. So, um, so it took a while to, like, like, you know, get it going. And, yeah, so I'm intrigued to see, um, how it does in terms of like business and all that stuff. I'm I'm also hopeful that it does well because I do want to see more movies from this franchise. Um, I think the director is doing an amazing, amazing, incredible job. Uh, it's just an impeccable uh, work um, work directed by Denise uh, Villeneuve. Uh, he's just um, incredible. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. I'm very hopeful. So this this movie, this, the movie that came out on Friday is actually called Dune Part 2, because the first one was actually part one of the first book, basically. So this one is second part of the first book, and it's supposed to be the end of the, of the first book. I've read the two first two books, um, and I thoroughly enjoyed them, but I stopped myself from going, um, like, full into the full franchise, like, in terms of uh, the chain, like, you know, all that, because I wanted to see how it keeps on going because I do want to I like the visual aspect of these movies so much that I'm like oh maybe I don't know if I want like I, I do want to read them in pro in, in close proximity to the actual movies coming out so um I read the first two books took a, a little break if they do announce a third movie and like it keeps on getting better and better I will continue reading the books for sure for sure but yeah so Second movie is basically second part of the first book, and so to give you a little bit of a review and a little bit of like a spoiler-free synopsis and all that shit, I need to unfortunately have to go into spoilers for the first part because you can. Many people, okay, here's the thing. Many I've seen many reviews saying that you don't need to watch the first movie to get into the second one, and I'm like, are you dumb? Like I don't know. I think I think you have to. I don't think I don't think. Like, I mean, you, I don't know, maybe you can come in and watch the movie out of nowhere, but, like, and still enjoy it. I, I doubt it, though, because it's three hours long, and if you don't have any context of, like, there's, there are so many elements that be like, where does, where does this person come from? Who is this person? Who is this, this other person? And all that stuff. So, like, I don't think you can, I, I don't think, you, I don't think you can skip, actually, the first movie, to be fair. So, I think that's why I'm gonna give you a little bit of a lore, run, a rundown through the first movie. Um... 
I'm not going to talk too much about what happens in the books as well, but just know that the books, of course, as usual, are a bit more in-depth and a bit more... Also, sometimes a bit more, I would say personally, a bit more graphic. There are more scenes that are a bit more on the nose as well in the movie, uh, sorry, in the books. And there are some differences, which I will point out in in due course when I talk about the second movie as well. But overall, I'm, I'll, con- like, I'll try to concentrate mostly on the movie, the first movie, and the second one, a bit of a, synop- a synopsis on that one. And hopefully I'll intrigue you guys to check it out. But... Yeah, without further ado, let's get into the first part of the movie. Sorry, the first part of the, uh, yeah, of the franchise, basically, yeah. Um, uh, so, the lore, I think the the best way to run it down is to just go through general themes, I guess, and, like, character sets and all that stuff. So, um the, the 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 entire universe like well i mean the the, the lore of this uh, story is based basically in the future future like it's very much i think it was like, what year is like 10,000 or something like it's very far far in the future and humans have taken over space of course the universe and then they've built this empire that now governs majority of of the universe basically yeah and the empire rules over several multiple houses but the movies, uh, the first two movies, um, focus specifically on two, I would say two main houses. Well, third one if you count the Emperor's house. But mostly two uh, houses. Uh, our main houses are the following. We have the Atreides, which um, is a house of loyal warriors. Um, well, not loyal, I, I would say like very brave warriors let's just say that because they're not actually that loyal but um yeah the atreides are also the house of our protagonist like our protagonist paul paul atreides is part of uh he's actually the he's actually the son of the head of the house of atreides yeah then we have the arcanans arcanans are um basically well Supposedly, they're they're very closely uh, controlled by the Empire. They are easily controlled in that sense, I would say. They do the bidding of the Empire, most of all. And they're ruthless and pretty much evil to their core. Um, They're born to, like, produce violence, basically, in my opinion. But um, And in the second movie, you actually see a lot more of their home um, planet and their like aesthetic as well is very um unique they have this world that is like fully black and white which also kind of like the um denotes the whole like thinking of the house which is basically a a bit like they try to portray the world of a black and white world where there is you know oppressors strong oppressors and oppressed uh and and the oppressed you know so they just like they they're very violent in terms of like a house there's a scene in the second movie where there there's a battle like in a sort of like a gladiator style type of battle, and it's just like a crude real reality like basically just the strongest one comes on top and all that type of situation. But as I said, like it's a portrayed reality. In in truth, behind closed doors, there are other things happening. But I'll like. Well, it's all about, like, perception, basically. I'll get into it in a bit when I talk about the um, the second movie. But, yes. So, those are our two main two main houses, Atreides and Arcanans. 
And then we have our main setting, which is Arrakis, a planet that has basically no water at all, <laughs> full of deserts, full of sand, but it's super rich in the most valuable element, which is the spice. It's called spice, not ice spice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the spice is basically this um, dust, this um, super um, valuable element that can be only harvested on this planet and provides um, visions and other announcements to your to the human mind. But also, most importantly, I would say it allows space travel. So. You can imagine that it's a, such a valuable um, and important, um, you know, material, I guess, that is very much um, sought by the Empire. So, um, this means basically that whoever is in control of the planet also has basically a direct access to probably the most valuable and profitable business in the, in the universe. The Empire, of course, is in control of this trade, but usually what they do is they usually delegate one of the houses um, to the planet to oversee production and harvesting, but also to fight the Fremens. Fremens are basically the inhabitants of the planet, the, the uh, you know, the the native population. Uh, but yeah, the Empire is um, basically harvesting their resources. And here's where, of course, for the first element of colonialism comes in immediately. Immediately, we talk about empires, we talk about um, colonialism, and oppressors and oppressed and basically colonized and just, you know, um, extraction of resources, exploitation and all that stuff. So this is like already a, a you know, very straightforward um, element of the movie that is very political, of course. Um, very interesting to see. I don't think it's ever been touched in sci-fi movies um, that much, but yes. Um, in the canon, the Harkonnens, actually, I forgot to say... Um, used to be in charge for a long time of this planet until they were suddenly called back by the Empire and told to leave the planet. I think you see a bit of this at the beginning, right at the beginning of the first movie, I think. But basically, just keep in mind that the Arcanans, one of the two houses that I mentioned before, um, were in charge of this planet until they were told by the Empire to leave. Just say, just keep that in mind. We don't know exactly why in, at the beginning of the movie, uh, of the story, but... You'll soon find out why, basically. <laughs> I'll get into that. Um, the Empire wanted to give control, basically, to the Atreides, eventually, to the planet, and basically ensue a war um, between two houses, just to basically exterminate the Atreides, specifically, uh, behind the scenes. So the Empire is behind the scenes, taking out the uh, Arcanans and giving it, giving, it, giving the planet to the Atreides, so that the Atreides can be, and the, and the Arcanans have a reason to fight, um, and the Empire could then, you know, support the Arcanans and kill the Atreides, uh, and exterminate the Atreides. Why do they want to kill, kill off the Atreides? Well, um, the main reason is because the Atreides are, um, as I said, they're not super loyal in the sense that they, they know how to, they don't like injustice. They're against injustices and all that stuff, and they're like a very, um, you know, honorable house, and they're therefore not that easy to control. The Empire wants um, easy houses to control in that sense, so... That's a whole, like, also intrigue. There's another layer of politics and that comes in here as well. There's a lot of, like, um, behind-the-scenes type of, like, uh, run-of-the-mill politics. It's just beautiful to see as well. So, yeah. Basically, our protagonist, Paul, um, 
together with his mom and his dad Leto. His mom is his mom's name is Jessica. I keep that in mind. She's very important, and she's a very important character. His dad, he's not that important, I guess. But you, uh, I'll get into why in a bit. But they're all brought to Arrakis together with the entire uh, Atreides army and population, basically almost, um, to basically get in control of the spice production, right? So Leto does realize, however, that this might be a trap. However, his honor, as I said, like, and his duty to the empire. He says, like, he's never, he'll never back down from, you know, following his path and all that shit. So, he goes to Arrakis and takes uh, charge of it. And also, he sees an opportunity there. Because, uh, you know, that even if it's a, um, a trap, it could be a trap, you also have the chance to get in charge of, as I said, one of the most profitable businesses of the universe. So, yeah. Uh, I don't completely blame him, but also I would have... Taking a step back. But also, if you take a step back, I wonder what would have happened. Like, if they would have been in more trouble already. So, I guess there was no way out of it, in a way. So, um, yeah. But, anyways, they set off to Ar Arrakis. And they start, in, uh, they start getting, like, in full control of the uh, production and all that stuff. So, before I get any further into the story, though, I think I need to um, talk about the Bene Gesserit. Bene Gesserit and... And the religion. Bene Gesserit, I know it sounds like a stupid, what the fuck are you saying? Bene Gesserit is a group of um, spies, I guess, and theologians um, who are basically in charge of the religion aspect of the empire. Um, and as I said, yes, this franchise is very sophisticated for a sci-fi movie and um, deals with apart from, as I said, colonialism, there's also a, a big element of religion in this. Um, just good old-fashioned holy war as well. So, yeah. Paul's mom, Jessica, is part of this Bene Gesserit. Bene Gesserit, um, as I said, is this group of theolo theologians. Um, uh, well, well, basically, yeah, only women can join this group. It's like sort of like a, co a covenant. Um, and they are very much... Um, super intertwined with the empire and basically in charge of spreading the faith, right? Uh, the main religion of the empire. Um, their task is to basically bring forth the emergence of the Messiah called Lisan al-Gaib. Uh, this Messiah is supposed to be the chosen one who would bring peace between the houses in the official, I would say, em em the empire-backed, I guess, a faith uh, version of the religion, yeah. Um... They weigh the the metal usually with the process is to basically ins uh, the metal just metal with the entire process is to basically insert themselves in the bloodlines of the many houses by marrying many powerful positions and like all the sort, um, so having children with impor important men as as you can see Jessica is married to uh, Leto which is the head who is the head of uh, the um, Atreides uh, house so. Yeah, this not only gives them an opportunity to keep the Bene Gesserit as a, a very influential organization, but also to curate the perfect messiah. You know, like, they can basically pick and choose where to have the supposed messiah come from, I guess. Both in terms of, like, uh, genetics, but also in terms of literally, like, social power, in my opinion. But, yeah. Um, there are plenty of conversation already to be had here, I think. Um... One, for example, both in terms of like gender studies, as for women using their lineages, lineages and basically their reproductive power to negotiate their space in the empire, 
and also to basically counteract a male-dominated world, right? But also in terms of uh, what a religion and what, like, a messiah is, in a way, like, the power of ideas, the artificial nature as well of religions, how sometimes, like, well, there's no clear, you know, reason for a religion to prosper, but also it's just a powerful tool that can be used by a government to crack down on consensus and all that stuff. So, but also, as a, on the other hand, also, like, it can be a spark for a revolution, as you can see, and when it, if it's like if it's too much out of control, so you know th there's a lot, a lot, a very sophisticated, as I said, like movie and uh, franchise. Um, so yeah, um, the religion and the Fremen too have a lot of similarities, also with the Muslim religion, as a matter of fact. Um, and the Holy War definitely echoes our own past our own history you know there's a lot taken of course from history and that's why like usually sci-fi um where sci-fi in my opinion works the best or like even fantasy works the best is when they actually take um you know elements from real history and they repurpose it in a different way you know what i mean so or like they modernize it or re retell a story it's just very interesting to see how they do it the creativity that gets into that is just fascinating to me but yeah um yeah, so, as I was saying, the religion and the Fremen too are very yeah, closely related to Muslim they, they have a lot of elements from that religion. Um, and also, another interesting aspect, I think, is how religion takes different forms and mutates its scriptures, dogmas, and practices between the oppressors and the oppressed. And basically, this is practically the very own thing that is firing back at the Empire. So the Empire planted a seed of... Um, this religion around the entire universe, but it's exactly this religion that is going to be their own undo undoing in a way, because the Fremen start adopt like adopting the the faith that is brought by the Empire into their own little ways. You know what I mean? And their own culture and their own um, you know benefits in the, in a way. So um, I would say specifically, I, I mean, it is definitely. Um, as again, again, as I said, like it's a clear, clear sign of like politics and religion being intertwined as usual. But yeah, the Fremen have adapted it to go hand in hand with their political needs. So for them, the Lisan Al Gaib is the one who, um, Lisan Al Gaib is is the one who will lead them to freedom from their oppressors, which is ironically the Empire. And it's also a unifying figure, of course, that will bring prosperity to the dry lands of Arrakis. So there's this prophecy about like the Messiah bringing water and like. Um, vegetation and like uh you know nature back to back to arrakis um yeah so this is practically very central the central theme of the entire series and specifically also the second movie the second movie is much more uh focused on this entertainment between religion and politics in a way the first movie is more about like um traditional politics and takeover and like empire and wars and all that stuff and in um betrayals and all that all that but the second movie is more, uh, even more centered on the religion aspect of it all. But yeah, let me continue the story. <laughs> Basically, as predicted, the whole um, Atreides' rise to power was in fact a setup. The Empire, as I said, allies itself with the Harkonnens, and they do take over uh, Rakis once again. And they basically exterminate, for real, the Atreides. So, <laughs> the Atreides are almost completely gone, if it wasn't for Paul and uh, Jessica, who managed to escape. Um, yeah. 
also I forgot to say like the the uh, um the Bene Gesserit uh, they have uh, enhanced powers as well because they um basically go through a lot of like interesting trainings and about like um poison transmutation all that stuff there's a lot of like um, they have enhanced mental powers as well. They have the use of the voice who basically can control their people. And, as I said, Bene Gesserit are usually, the Bene Gesserit are all women, but um, Paul has been receiving training from his mom. Um, so he knows the way, he knows how to use the voice. He's training himself to use the voice. And he's not completely um, unruled by the Bene Gesserit because they may think that he could be the messiah and this is also another theme of the entire series which is is paul actually the messiah or is he not <laughs> that's the whole question i have a question but yeah um but anyways amol in the atreides basically sets up the takeover by lowering the atreides defenses and in one night the whole thing is done basically right so yeah uh paul and his mom uh have and, and his mom by the way at this point in the story learns that she's pregnant with um um Paul's sister um but yeah so they manage to escape and eventually end up allying themselves with the Fremens uh, the Fremens are the only ones who can basically live outside of the capital or like the the main city because they know how to like um go through the deserts and it's a very um dangerous place to live in not only because like the temperatures are te terribly high it's like very inhospitable in that sense but also most importantly there are sandworms who are like the sandworms are huge worms like huge like ginormous worms that basically predate um that they live in, in in the dunes basically right and they attack whoever move like whoever literally steps foot on the sand so that uh fr the fremens know their ways of how to like walk around without being noticed by the the um, uh they have this thing called sand walking where they they can walk by some, some sort of dance um without being heard by the the sandworms is and making any noises specifically so yeah um but since they managed to escape they also basically find themselves aligning with the fremens because they have interests in common and also because, as I said, Paul is made to believe to be the Messiah. So that's a bargaining power that they have. In a way, they there are plenty of believers in Fremens as well. And they see in Paul some things that are, you know, can be interpreted as miracles and all that stuff. And this is, like, the only ticket they have to, like, keep on surviving, basically. I mean, I mean as in Paul and Jessica. But also, they find in the Fremens... Um, a perfect ally because the Fremens want, of course, to take uh, you know, their freedom back from the Empire, and Paul and Jessica now have a grudge. They have a revenge to enact, which is, of course, to avenge their their house, the Atreides house. Um, so yeah, uh, it's the perfect alliance in that sense. And Paul, sooner or later, this is where we get into the second movie. The second movie starts just basically right off. Right, right after the first one, where it ends, like the first one ends with um, them joining the 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 um, the Fremens, but basically in the second movie we start off with them trying to integrate themselves into the Fremens. Uh, Paul finds himself um, actually falling in love with the culture and everything else, but also with a little girl named uh, not little, she's literally her, like his age, 
play, uh, her her name is Chani and is played by Zendaya, of course. Um, but yeah, um, Paul also has many visions throughout bo both the first one and the second movie, and they're basically also even more like enhanced by the spice, as I said, because the spice is prevalent in the in the in the plan as well. But there are many visions that he has about this girl even before he meets her, and once he meets her, he knows that you know. There's something special about this girl. Um, but yeah. So second movie is very much um, this first... like The first part is more like a formative uh, period where like they start to integrate themselves and they uh, make the final decision to join forces with the Fremens and they try to learn their ways and how to live like them. Now here's where it gets interesting. Um... Paul, as I said, like, he's very, like, quick to learn the ways, and he, sometimes he's actually unnatural in that sense. He knows how to speak the language, and without much help, he becomes part of the Fremens in no time. And this is, like, what's very weird about it, in a way, in the movie, um, specifically, um, because... There are some inexplicable things that may lead to believe that he's actually the messiah for real, for real. But in the books, it's actually quite easy. Like, it's actually quite more straightforward. The whole point of actually the, the books is that he's actually not the messiah, but he's using this figure and this idea to gain power and to enact his own revenge. So, but yeah, he, the, the the artistic choice made in the movie, I think especially in the second one, is to still make you wonder a bit if he's actually the messiah or not there are signs where he, they clearly point to him be, not being the messiah but also other interesting facts that lead uh, to that be, uh, to that belief so yeah but anyways um jessica here uh she um is also eventually coming to power in a way she has no choice to be fair in the movie um she has to um basically prove herself, and the Reverend Mother that is in that planet uh, was the head of the Bene Gesserit in, in between the, uh, the Fremens, is about to, pa uh, to pass away because she's extremely old, and she chose Jessica, um, an outsider, a white savior, maybe we could say. Well, the white savior is also Paul, in a way. There's also the theme of the white savior here as well, very political as well, but anyways, um, <laughs> Jessica is chosen to be the the new Reverend Mother, and the ritual here is a bit more different from, like, it's a bit different from the one that you do in the Empire, apparently, but she's um, forced to drink this blue liquid, uh, which is basically the bile of uh, the sandworms, and it's a very poisonous uh, liquid that not everyone can drink, like, it's literally deathly, but... Um, she survives because she's been training to, as a manager, to like do poison transmutation, all that stuff. But the aftermath of it all is that also is that one, they didn't know that she was pregnant. She she did, but the other manager uh, didn't, and so they give her this poison, and the um, the also the baby's affected by the poison in a way that she gets an enhanced. And a very like fastly developed brain as a, for a baby that is still not even born, but she can. So basically, this baby has now mental powers that can communicate 
allow her to communicate with her mom. Anyways, but and also uh, Jessica gains access to memories and visions from all the previous Abena Gesserits, and she gets basically freaky. She became she becomes sort of insane, not insane, but she not she's not insane. She's more cynical and more like goal driven in that sense, and she understands her power now, and she's very powerful, and she basically builds her own Bene Gesserit circle in Arrakis with the Fremens. Um, a sort of, you know, counteractive um, council or, like, group that can fight against the Emperor's version of the um, of the Bene Gesserit. So that's very interesting to see. So she takes over that part, the, the religion aspect of uh, Arrakis, and she basically threads, like she, you know, she, you know, she weaves threads to basically allow his son, her son, to be loved by everyone in that sense. So she um, makes sure basically that he can be the most believable messiah ever. Um, sometimes through, uh, you know, pretty much explainable things, but sometimes also through a pure, you know coincidences and can be they can be attributed to like miracles or whatever but yeah uh they all also uh, the, another interesting thing about the fremens now in the second movie specifically is that not everyone is a believer most people from the south of that planet are strong believers in the, the um lisa al-gaib uh but not everyone is and among these people there's also chani chani is not a believer at all she's actually very much aware of the fact that this could be a a takeover situation once again that's like you know like a white savior situation where this paul dude just comes out of nowhere and leads her people and then enslaves them basically um and so she's probably one of the most um one of the only standing people in the fremens eventually even towards the end of the movie that still refuses to believe in the messiah and all that stuff um and is truthfully interested in her own people's um basically freedom um but it's not as simple it's not as simple it's not as simple unfortunately um but basically eventually all fremens fall for um you know not fall for it but they do start believing in him and he also eventually gets a taste of that little poison uh the um, you know the desert's water whatever that was called what i cannot remember but the, the yeah the desert worms um vial but anyways um so eventually, uh, Paul becomes fully integrated into the Fremens. He learns how to also like ride the worms and all that stuff. It's very fun to see, and um, yeah. So he basically takes charge of the entire Fremens uh, population <laughs> in literally the entire movie. Like the movie's long; it's almost two hours. But he, towards the end, he becomes the leader, and he also sends a challenge to the emperor. Um, he declares war to the emperor. The emperor comes to uh, basically observe what's going on, and he basically, in a coup, manages to take over Arrakis once again, thanks to the help of the Fremens. Um, here, there's a bit of a, a battle between him also and um, the character played by um, Austin Butler, who is uh, who's playing basically the Arcanans, uh Baron's uh, nephew, I think. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, but and then basically this this whole thing uh, with the emperor as well. But I will not get into much of a how he um, he goes more than that. But um, yeah, so they wage war to the em to the empire, and 
the rest is for you to see. You see what happens, there's plenty of twists and turns and about how the second part ends. Who dies, who lives, do they win the actual coup, do they not, what happens there, um, what's the outcome, what are the consequences, keep that in mind as well, what are the consequences. There's plenty of interesting things that happen here. And, yeah, I really love the movie. <laughs> I have to say, like, it was very, very well executed. And it's just very interesting to see, honestly. There's a lot of play, a lot of stake, and it's just a beautiful, a beautiful thing. I really hope, as I said, like, that it goes on. Like, the, the franchise can flourish and they can do more movies like this because he's, the like, the, the whole franchise is just beautiful. Um, but, yeah, um... I hope I managed to like communicate my interest uh, and maybe you can go and watch it. I've been talking for way too long about this movie, but uh, it, I am very much um, into the lore. I love it. It's just something that I can hope can prosper even more and people can get their own fair share of a great story. A great story, first of all. Um, and just, you know, challenging movie in that sense full of action action sequences are incredible i also want to compliment the direction the visual aspect of this movie is just beautiful like straight up gorgeous the fashion game in this is just incredible very much inspired by muslim um garments and as well there is a lot of that there's a lot of um arab influence um there is a lot of you know, interesting pieces of uh, clothing. Uh, it's just beautifully made and very creative and is not the usual thing that you've seen already in terms of um, sci-fi or, or like, you know, uh, lasers and uh, like, even to be fair, like they don't really focus too much on spaceships and all that stuff or space travel yet uh, that much, but... It's more about the intrigue, about the drama, about the uh, you know betrayals, and about the all these political things. It's more imprinted on that than the actual sci-fi element of it all. But it's just beautiful to see. Like it's just a masterful execution as well, in my opinion. So go and um, buy your ticket. No one is like you know <laughs> sponsoring me for this, but it's just a very good movie. I would love you to see it. So yeah, but yeah. Hold up, we'll get into the next story right now. It's time to talk about Fifth Harmony Renaissance. Fifth Harmony is um, back. We have we might have to cheer because TikTok is finally bringing them back. Um, it's been how many years? So it's been in 2016. It's been um, a good eight years. <laughs> a good eight years um, without, like, you know, without the actual full Fifth Armory group. Wait, did it span in... Well, no, 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 maybe did it span in 2018. Let me... 2016 was when... She, oh, my God. Yeah, no, this banned later on. Um, but 2018, so it's been six years. Um, yeah, but... Yeah, um, it's just it's just happening right now on TikTok. Uh, people are rediscovering um, Fifth Harmony, uh, but in my opinion, it already seems very short, pretty short lived. In my opinion, like seems like it was more of a short time entertainment for the internet, just like many other trends, honestly. But 
I was quite surprised to see that many YouTubers actually were latching onto the supposed renaissance, and so I thought that I might be, like, you know, I might have to, like, cover it as well, and it might be worth it, pun very much intended, but <laughs> it all started because of the song All In My Head, Flex, that was resurfacing, um... And a TikToker, a TikToker named Noah Miller specifically spearheaded this um, Copernican revolution, maybe we can call it. But uh, yeah, almost um, all of the girls have now um, engaged with the content that has come out of this. So yeah, it's getting quite a lot of traction in the short lifespan of the trend. But yeah, anyways, this is the perfect opportunity to bring in some pop culture history for y'all. So please, um, you know, open your ears and listen to me. Um, because this group left its mark in 2010s, I think it's very important to also keep that in mind that it's a 2010 type of story. You know what I mean? So <laughs> this can never work these days, but um, it used to flourish back in the days. 2010s is when you, we had, you know, the One Direction type of group, we had Little Mix, we had the X Factor going, so yeah, very much a product of its own time. Um, but yeah, the group, uh, the Fifth, Fifth, Har Fifth Harmony group specifically, um, you, might know, you might know them for some of their members, Normani, one of my favorite girls, Camila Cabello might be the most famous one, she, she probably is, um, Lauren, Lauren Haragi, and then is Abby, no way. <laughs> it's Dana Jane and uh, Ali. Ali. Ali Brooke. Yeah. <laughs> My God. Not Abby. <laughs> Girl. Uh, now, I have to say, I was very much um, impressed with this, but because they never quite managed to truly get a hold of um, their full identity and legacy um, because they... I don't think they ever actually gotten a hold of that throughout the entire career. So I'm really surprised they actually came back to dominate once more. <laughs> but um, it's good. It's good to see. It's good to see. It's good. It's very much like revoking memories for me as well. But um, but they undeniably made some very recognizable radio hits that you all have probably heard heard of, uh, like Worth It, Work From Home, or Boss. Michelle Obama. <laughs> Spite my card, I'll do the nay nay. <laughs> Now, I have to say, I was very much involved with the group, but mostly because I was a mixer, a Little Mix fan, of course, which was roughly its British counterpart, but they actually are the mothers, because they debuted before them, too. Um, they debuted in 2012, while they went on the X Factor in 2012, so, yeah. Um, but anyways, I was first discovering my girl groups, and this was me in middle school, and getting into my first years of high school. So, I was tuned in. Best believe Little Rob was tuning into the content on YouTube, and on Twitter, and just engaging, you know? But yeah, Fifth Harmony very much was a product of its time, as I said, and it, as it was the result of the popular days of Dex Factor. Um, Fifth Harmony actually was the only, first and only successful US X Factor group that managed to leave a mark in the industry. Because the other two in our examples were both British, of course, One Direction, Little Mix, but yeah. So yeah, the X Factor machine was dying to replicate the format um, in the US, and it seems like it was relatively successful for them. Um, so the year is 2012, when the five girls at all auditioned as soloists. Uh, same fucking story for every single one of these groups, but yeah. Um, and also keep, them, keep in mind that they were auditioning for soloists. That's a very important, important detail. Um... Yeah, so 
second season of the X Factor, they all go for it. And so we have a very, the very young girlies, all minors, I think, at the time. Especially Camila. Camila was 15. 15 years old. Crazy. Um, but yeah, the formula here is repeated once again. The girls are failing as soloists, and so they're forced to get into a group and to keep on staying on the show. So yeah, five strangers put together overnight and have to stay pretending, start pretending like basically to be the closest sisters ever. They're putting all of their dreams, as soloists, by the way, into this group. Because at the end of the day, they, their initial dream was to make it as a soloist, you know? each For each one of them. So... Um, yeah. <laughs> so they, but the group is a good, like, you know, platform to basically become famous in a way. So, uh, the only chance now they have to become famous is to actually, um, go through it, you know? However, the internal drama is planned very early on by none other than Demi Lovato <laughs> in one of the evaluations. Demi was, um, in this season of The X Factor, she was one of the, um, the judges, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was basically ready to bring hell to these girls' dynamics. You know, she was ready to, like, you know, plant a bad seed. And that's what she did. And that's how, like, they've, ever since then, they've been forever cursed by Demi Lovato, bitch. <laughs> yeah. And so basically, what, what she tells the girls after one of the evaluations is that the girls, uh, the, the only one girl stuck uh, stuck out to her, and it was Camila Cabello, and that the rest of the girls should learn from, from, to be more like her. So this created this sort of like um, resentment and like jealousy and like drama between the girls, and very much a separation and like a, a favoritism towards Camila specifically. So yeah, this this was the original sin for real, for real. <laughs> The dynamic between the girls was forever dictated by this, anyway. So, um, so they fin but either way, they finished the X Factor regulating third, I think, and they then get a contract, a, terrible, a very terrible one, by uh, with Psycho Simon Cowell's label. Simon Cowell is the creator of the X Factor, I think, but he is just terrible. Like ter they were enslaved, basically. They were working day and night, couldn't see their families, and just constantly touring. It was just a terrible contract. Uh, budget, but it, the budget as well was very bad, to be fair. But hey, they gave us um, some certified bangers, so I cannot deny that. So in 2013, and uh, yeah, and one thing you cannot take uh, for granted is that the girls worked hard. They worked hard for their for their place. But anyways, um, in 2013, they released their first original single called "Miss Moving On." which is a certified banger, of course. Very much age-appropriate and just a fun little tune for the girls. Um, like it's about moving on from a breakup, cute songs, uh, cute song for the girlies. I love it so much, but when I did like it a lot when it came out. Then we had uh, also another single, Better, Better Together, which was okay, in my opinion. Not too too, too great, but yeah. But again, very much age-appropriate, which, which is what we'd like to see for minors, you know? Their debut almost... Um, oh, yeah like, got laid by a year, I think they, they only got released in 2014, so that's when they actually, f f uh, like, properly got introduced to the world, um, though, so basically, like, a year later from their first single or something like that, um, before the release of the album, they also had been touring with Demi Lovato for the Neon Nights tour, so yeah, they were starting to get some experience already under their belt, um, and the album had three memorable singles, Boss, Sledgehammer, and then, of course, the, break the breakthrough single called worth it which was the girls um uh, taking a more a majorly sexually explicit veer so worth it p 
peaked to number 12 on the Hot 100. It, it became viral for sure. Uh, so very major, yeah, very major moment, uh, moment for them. And this success led them to the headline to headline their own very first tour, and opened up many, many, many opportunities for them. Um, so this was 2014, as I said. Um, now here we need to enter a new character, which is uh, unfortunately Taylor Swift. <laughs> Taylor Swift um, was in her um, 1989 era here. So between 2014 and 15, this is when we um, started getting Taylor becoming like uh, entering into that her like feminist phase, getting all the you know the the girl squad and all that stuff, and so. Somehow, I don't know if it was, like... There are rumors that Camila always had a different agent from the other girls and had better connections as well. And there, the rumor is that she was basically able to meet up with Taylor Swift as well. And Taylor saw in this girl... Um, basically, a, an ins like, you know, a, an exploited girl that wanted to, like, have a soloist career and wanted to be her own thing... And she was trapped in this like terrible contract, and maybe, maybe uh, I, I don't really like. I, I really see see this happening. To be fair, Taylor gave her so many advices on how to like you know, get out of get out of a contract, and that I think, in a way, triggered the other girls because of course all of them wanted to like be soloists as well as I said, and so this friendship as well, and Camila getting some favorable treatment from bigger stars kept on getting things worse and worse and worse they kept on having very bad um you know uh dynamics so yeah anyways um rumor has it that in 2015 uh, <laughs> camilla starts to make moves here's where she goes to the uh to one of the con uh, the Taylor Swift uh, nineteen ninety nine tour concert. Uh, what what the hell? Yeah, shows. Um, her basically it's Camila and her bandmate uh, Ali, Ali Brooke. Uh, they they go together, but little did Ali know that <laughs> Camila girl was not there simply for Taylor. She was there to write a song with Shawn Mendes. <laughs> And to get, you know, her first few solo things going on. So while they're both in a pit, um, at a certain point, Camila leaves and goes to the backstage and she leaves um, Abby in the... Uh, not Abby, Ali. Why do they keep on calling her Abby, man? <laughs> Ali, she leaves Ali in the pit. She leaves Ali in the pit completely alone. Betrayal, big betrayal here, you know what I mean? She goes in the um, backstage and allegedly... This is what they said, like, um, they put out a statement that Camila wrote for the first time, like, in literally two seconds with Shawn Mendes in the, in the backstage of the 1999 tour, their first collaboration, the collaboration between Camila and Shawn Mendes. Now, of course, you all know that they dated infamously. Um, there are rumors that they started dating this time as well, but also after that, when she went solo and all that stuff. But anyways, they then released this song, and... Um, which was like, it's called like, uh, I know what you did last summer, something like that. But yeah, this was also another bad sign, another bad sign. Um, but yeah, the relationship between the girls kept on deteriorating more and more and more. Um, we kept on having pretty bad, um, you know, interactions between them. And 
But either way, they kept on pulling through and they got to a second album in 2015, which was uh, called 727, with another major hit called Work From Home. And also the infamous uh, Flex, uh, was it? it's only, only My Head, Flex, the one that's resurging now on TikTok. So yeah, another, another couple of bangers. But yeah, um, and this was also going to be their last album as... Um, a fifth, a five member, a five member group. So, because in December, like December 2016, that's when Camila left the group. Um, now that this was a mess, girl, because um, the way things started happening was just crazy. But yeah, drama kept on ensuing. So basically, after November, so November 15th is when the I know what you did last summer um, came out, right, with uh, Shawn Mendes. Then, um, the same, in response, in response to fan speculation, uh, basically, in December 2015, Fifth Armory tweeted a photo of just the five of, of the four of them, so Lauren, Hallie, Normani, and Dinah, without Camila. So, this is when it started happening, like, basically, you could see the four girls hanging out much more together than Camila. Camila supposedly was in the studio, or away, God, no, God knows doing what, plotting her uh, way out of it. But, um, yeah. Can I really blame blame her on one hand? Because she, like, the, as I said, like, Contra was, was shit. She was 15 when she joined this, and then she was forced into this group and all that stuff. So it was a bit of a weird situation. But I cannot even blame the other girls, to be fair, because they were constantly pitted against each other. So it was a weird situation. But I love drama, and I love drama. But, yeah. Then in September 2016, um... Camila was seen leaving one of the concerts that they were having early, and due to like anxiety, and she couldn't finish the show basically. And then December 2016, 16 is when basically they yeah they they parted ways. But the way it went down was crazy. Um, the last performance was the Jingle Ball uh, in December 2016. You could see the energy was terrible here. They were not having it. Um, they were just you know you could see that it was a rift um so in december as soon as it was like the the, depa the departure from the group was announced actually by um the fifth harmony's uh twitter page and they wrote th the following after four and a half years of being together we have been informed uh, via her representatives that camilla has decided to leave fifth harmony we wish her well no you didn't <laughs> but that being said we are excited to announce that we will be for, uh, moving forward as a four-member uh, four group, basically, yeah? So, basically, this was saying, we didn't know anything about this shit. Her, um, she left, and her representatives just told told us the news. Um, so there's this whole, like, speculation here that none of the, the girls knew about her solo. While on Camila's end, she, said, she kept on saying that she did tell the girls that she was having plans to, like, make solo music and all that stuff, and eventually she was going to leave. But, yeah, so the truth is not there out, per se. We don't know if what was the actual truth, but there's this, like, you know, constant suspicion that she, want, she wanted to leave and all that stuff. But anyways, uh, after this statement, Camila replies with her own Twitter account and says um, she was shocked to read the statement. Uh, we, uh, it was posted without her knowing. The girls were made aware 
of her feelings through the long and much needed conversations about the future. And so basically, it was this, there was a full meltdown on Twitter and a back and forth between Fifth Harmony and um, the girl. You had to be there. It was incredible. It was so, so beautiful to be on Twitter that, that day. But uh, yeah, um, she says in the statement also that um, the statement of them being told by, the, by her representatives that she was leaving was simply not true. Um she had not. Uh, she also had planned to continue with her own solo endeavors and, and in the new year, but also she did not intend to end things with with harmony this way. Um, but yeah, and she said that she she will continue to root for them as individuals and as a group. The Fifthman replies back and says, "Over the past several months, we have consistently made every effort to sit down and discuss the future of the group with Camilla, but she's kept on like you know shutting us out and all that stuff. So exhausted efforts and all that stuff." And that Camila repeatedly refused to discuss their future. So she go, she wanted a way out. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it was ugly. It was very ugly. But yeah, so after after this moment, the, the four girls then um, planted, like, do one last album with uh, just the four of them. I think it was released in 2018, I said. Uh, but yeah. Um, of course, they were bombarded with questions and in interviews about her, like Camila leaving, and Camila was also interviewed so many times. Uh, there was a, the iconic um, performance at the MTV Music Awards in 2017 when they just drop a girl, a random prop from the stage, representing basically letting go of um, Camila. Um, so yeah, that's another thing. Now, the way it gets even worse is when the, dr the drama keeps on ensuing because at a certain point, there is um, someone leaks in um, 2020, I think it was, or 2019. Um, someone leaks um, Camila's Tumblr posts, I believe, where she made from 2016. So these, po these posts were uh, retweeted by her in 2016. And, yeah, the girl, uh, these... Uh, basically tumblr posts resurfaced and they were very racist posts and also some some text messages were exposed about her saying very racist things about normani her co-member ex ex-member uh who is a person of color of course um so yeah very very ugly situation and i think i ever ever since that she camila's um camila's um career has never truly recovered yes she became super, super popular with, like, uh, Havana and Senorita and all that stuff, but she never truly could recover from that. I don't think she could ever achieve her potential in that sense. So, yeah. Um, so this very ugly thing came up as well, and eventually Normani did, did um, you know, address the situation, saying that she is more than forgiving and she wants to... What, what, what she wishes that she learns from mistakes and all that. So, yeah, another crazy thing. And then, Camila, the last thing we know is Camila addressing her departure in the second album she has as a soloist, I think. Anyway, she thinks that she doesn't blame the girls for how it went down and all this stuff. So, uh, but apparently now everything is back to normal between them. Like, they're still very supportive of each other. They've, they're good now. There's nothing much. And, they started re, re, you know, re-engaging with the platforms and all that stuff, um, as you can see from TikTok. Apart from Normani, Normani hasn't uh, engaged with the resur resurgence, the renaissance of the <laughs> harmony. 
because I think she actually she's very committed to now doing this whole stuff. We, as I said, like in plenty of my episodes, we've been waiting six fucking years for this. Normani, you better come through, girl. But we have a cover art, we have a snippet, so we're ready. We're ready to see where it goes. But yeah, so. I think, yeah, this is a bit of like a history of the lore of Fifth Harmony. Crazy moments. Uh, I think one of the best memes of, that came out of this was... We have plenty of memes, to be fair. Them doing choreo, but being all, all out of like out of, um, out of sync. It was terrible. Or them performing on stage and looking like making it look like they're actually competing against each other. <laughs> like, it's just... <laughs> it's just hilarious. Dinah Jane fucking up her vocals. Um... Holly, Holly Brooke just fucking whipping her hair constantly. Um, it's just a lot. Or Normani looking uh, <laughs> bothered and like <laughs> yesified while everyone is just asking uh, questions to Camilla and Camilla is just uh, blabbing. There's just a lot of stuff. A lot of very funny jokes that came out of it and I loved it. Uh, it's just so funny. But yeah. Um, this is just to say that TikTok trends are crazy because things resurface for a short while or for a long while who knows and then it reaches you know larger audience we reserve like i think we still we're re-entering that hopefully that time period of 2010s in terms of music so we'll 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 see what happens i'm very curious mostly about how this resurgence of like 2010s is gonna affect music today because i am craving for a new wave as i said previously also in other episodes country seems to be the it the the safest bet for this year i think in terms of sounds but i am ready allegedly there's an alleged um review from the guardian about uh the torture poets department the new terrorist with album coming out in april 19th i think it's fake i don't think it's real because how would they even have like, you know, the chance to listen to it so far in advance and, like, have a review already. But I think it's fake. But people are saying that the album is actually for real, for real, in terms of Sonic's, uh, a very Rad-sounding uh, album. So if you know anything about Rad, Rad is a bit of everything. It's a bit of EDM, a bit of rock, a, a bit of country, a bit of all of it. So I'm I'm very hopeful to see where it goes. Um, But, yeah. Either way, this is the end of the episode. I am... uh happy that you guys uh hopefully you guys like yeah you, you guys listen throughout throughout it all and what's exciting next week i'll probably do a review of ariana grande's album that's coming out on, on friday i think april 8th i think it's coming out is that is that the friday i can't remember but on friday yeah yeah april 8th yeah i'll do um yeah i'll probably do a review for the next episode about that album and maybe something else we'll see what comes up but uh yeah have a great week ahead, guys. Um, keep on slaying, and I'll catch you soon. Bye. Mwah.